This episode of Hearsay is sponsored by the Wheels of Justice, a partnership against cancer, benefiting the Children's Colorado Center for Cancer and Blood Disorders. For more information, visit wheelsofjusticecycling.org. The court system is only as good as public trust in it. Criminal defendants shouldn't have to wonder whether their due process rights can be affected by where they're charged. But prosecutors' offices in Colorado don't all have proportionally equal resources. Some districts have enough funding for specialty courts and attorneys dedicated to particular courts or types of cases. For other districts, those are luxuries perpetually on their wish lists. The resources a DA office has can affect turnover and the caliber of attorneys that offices attract. But funding isn't just a personnel problem. Overworked district attorneys can lead to dismissed cases because of technical prosecution errors. Or sometimes cases get dropped early if a DA decides they don't have the resources to staff them sufficiently. Funding prosecutors' offices is a complicated issue. There are a lot of different ways to structure it, and they all have to come through the legislature, which comes with a briar patch of interests and agendas. Besides legislators, a lot of different people weigh in about where funding for DA's offices should come from. The DAs themselves, county commissioners, and sometimes even the public defender's office have their opinions. I'm Julia Cardi for Hearsay. I think the significant factor is um, we have a statewide uh, public defender system. We have a county um, jurisdictional district attorney system, and the You know, the counties need to step up. I mean, it's easy for me to say that from the, you know, the, the high tower of the legislature. These counties are broke, right? And, and there's some sort of philosophical objection to the state interjecting money into the DA's offices and into the prosecution realm. We're, as you know, in the San Luis Valley, we're one of the poorest areas in the states. Right now... Colorado's DA offices are funded with a mix of state and county money. The state pays 80% of each elected DA's salary. There's also a fellowship program implemented by the Colorado District Attorney's Council that funds up to six law school graduates to work in rural district attorney's offices for a year. The counties fund the rest of the budget for their district. Colorado lawmakers have considered a handful of bills in recent years to increase how much the state contributes to prosecutors' offices. The bills have asked for more money beyond the 80% of the DA's salary. One bill would have also expanded the length of the DA fellowship program. But these bills have had trouble getting traction in the legislature. So I started trying to figure out why. The web of issues and interests related to funding DA's offices makes it easier to see why taking one approach at the legislative level could be a lot for lawmakers to swallow, even if counties and districts agree the funding model now isn't sufficient. So, to start with the basics, why does adequate funding of prosecutors' offices matter? My personal view is that your experience in the criminal justice system shouldn't depend on what judicial district that you are prosecuted in or in which which you're participating as a litigant, that it should be a consistent product throughout the state. But I think it really impacts the ability for um, people to kind of get equal access to justice because you have this huge disparity of being able to kind of keep that institutional knowledge in the offices. You have the criminal defense as, as well as the public defender system. 
the judicial system, and the prosecution. Those three parts of the puzzle have to be equally or proportionally funded to work well together. If, if, if the balance is out in any one manner, then the system isn't um, fully functioning and, and efficient and doesn't get the right result, in my opinion. That's former State Representative Cole Wist, Legislative and Policy Advocate Allison Daly for Colorado Counties, Inc., and Tom Raines, Executive Director of the Colorado District Attorney's Council. Something I heard come up again and again is that rural districts struggle to get funding from their counties to staff enough attorneys to keep up with caseloads. Prosecutors make decisions about filing charges based on the evidence they have and whether they can prove charges against someone beyond a reasonable doubt. Molly Chilson, the DA in the 11th District, said not having the full staff and office needs makes it difficult for the attorneys to handle their caseloads thoroughly and efficiently. Her office has 11 attorneys. It had a budget of about $2.5 million in 2017. If prosecutors don't have the time, don't have the resources to thoroughly review cases and whether or not the police reports are sufficient, the evidence is sufficient to keep doing that analysis throughout the case, then even the most ethical prosecutor who wants to do the right thing is not going to be in a position to do it as timely and as well as they should be able to to honor a defendant's rights. I looked at the ratio of attorneys to new criminal filings in each district. I didn't see a correlation between a judicial district's budget and its average caseload per attorney. Excluding traffic violations, the 2nd and 12th districts had the highest number, each at about 440 new criminal cases per attorney in 2017. So attorneys in the 12th district handled a similar caseload on a budget of just over a million dollars that attorneys in the 2nd district handled on a budget of more than 25 million. At the other end of the spectrum, the 16th district had the fewest new filings per attorney in 2017 at 153. Its whole budget that year was about $1.6 million. But the number of cases isn't the only thing that affects a district's workload. Chilson said recent technology like body cameras and the ability to tape interviews means hours worth of evidence to sift through for one case. 20 years ago, a police report was written in handwriting, and it was likely not much greater than two or three pages long, maybe five or six on a big case. Now, we're in a completely different world in terms of the volume of case files. We're talking in, in homicide cases, generally over 10,000 pages just of document discovery. The hours of interviews with witnesses, video and audio interviews, and then put into the mix body cam. If you have that volume to review, and you have to be in court three to five days a week, and you're set for trial, five trials deep every week on your docket trial day, when is it expected that you're going to have the opportunity to thoroughly review each and every case that comes through your hands and watch every second of what transpired on a body cam and listen to every word on interviews? Dan Hotzenpiller the district attorney in the 7th district said the staff-to-workload ratio is a big issue in his office, too. The 7th district covers six counties. In 2017, it had a budget of about $2.2 million and 14 attorneys. He said if he could get additional funding, he would use it to add staff at every level in his office. I'd add an investigator. I would add legal services staff. Um, and I'd certainly add attorneys. Um, we were able, through a grant, to add a 
part-time victim services staff this year, you know, but that was through a grant, purely grant funded. Resource shortages don't just affect workloads. Allison Daly, the legislative and policy advocate for Colorado Counties, Inc., said cash-strapped districts have trouble affording specialty criminal justice programs like drug courts and diversion programs. I think there's this, this perception sometimes that our rural counties don't aren't thoughtful about the people that they're putting in their jails or this perception, I think, sometimes that I hear at the legislature that we're just trying to lock everybody up. And it's a really hard perception to break because I don't think people are re- realize that the lack of resources really does drive the decisions. It's not some kind of malice towards criminal defendants or people who have drug addictions or mental health. Tom Raines testified at the committee hearing for Senate Bill 50, this year's attempt to increase state funding of DA offices. The CDAC only supports a bill if all of the state's DAs agree on it. So their unified position should make it easier to get the state to agree to more funding, right? The reality has been far from that. Colwist believes the issue of funding DA's offices is inherently political. He said budgeting is perhaps the most political thing a legislature does, and budgets reflect and shape policy. You layer on top of that, that in a district attorney's office, that an elected person is responsible for the submission and the, the maintenance and the mod- moderation or, or monitoring of that budget, um, I think that lays a completely different political filter over this entire process. And you're never going to be able to divorce politics from the way that we fund district attorney's offices, nor do I think we should, because I think the district attorney, as an elected person, is reflective of the community from which you know, he or she comes. There are a few different approaches to increase how much funding comes from the state. The state could increase its contributions beyond 80% of the elected DA's salary. In 2012, the minimum salary for elected DA's increased to 130000 as part of incremental increases passed in 2009. The latest bill to change the state's contributions to DA's offices died in the Senate's Judiciary Committee in February. Last year, WIST sponsored a bill along with Representative Dylan Roberts to extend the length of DA fellowships. That bill made it through the House before dying in the Senate's Finance Committee. During this just-ended session, Tom Reins told me the CDAC was mulling a few bills to try again to expand the fellowship program. But the bills didn't come this year. After the session ended, Reins said there hadn't been the political will for them to get any traction. Representative Roberts has run that force two years in a row. It, it seems to get caught up in um, either a funding dispute or a lack of priority. And, and it's, a small, it's a small piece. I mean, we were looking, I, I think it would have cost like $300,000 to run that bill this year to extend. We, we offer six fellowships, three to each law school, um, for an entry-level prosecutor in rural communities for one year. And we were trying to extend it to 18 months. But we can't get that off the ground. Bills to address DA funding have had sponsors from both sides of the aisle, and they've struggled in committees controlled by Republicans and Democrats, so it's not clearly a red or blue issue. I posed a few broad questions to people I talked to. Why do these bills have so much trouble getting traction in the legislature? And what seems to be the lingering philosophical divide among lawmakers? I got different answers from just about everyone, reflecting just how complex the debate is.
it just isn't, it, it isn't like, oh, well, absolutely everyone everywhere is experiencing this one thing and one problem. And so, well, let's do this and that'll solve the problem. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really not like that. Let's be candid here. It, it is not popular to help law enforcement or prosecutors right now. Then a legislator asked us, well, why don't you have a caseload analysis, caseload salary analysis like the public defender does to show us, you know, in data what you're talking about? And we said, well, because you funded the public defender to get that information. You spent tens of thousands of dollars funding the public defender so they could get this caseload salary analysis to show, demonstrate their need. Possible tension between local control and state funding is one thread that surfaced. I asked Colwist whether increasing state contributions to DA's offices would leave room for the argument that the state should get more say in how the different districts operate. And to your point and to your question, um, I think it's, it's time for us to have discussions about ways to preserve local control, to preserve the voices of the county commissioners, but trying, trying to bring some consistency to the way that we budget these offices uh, so that we avoid a scenario where county commissions can keep essentially keep a district attorney's off, office hostage for political purposes. Wist said he believes there's an analogy in how K-12 education gets funding in Colorado. Much of district funding comes from local property tax bases, and districts have a lot of discretion over how they spend revenue. But Wist said there's been a question about whether the way K-12 school districts get funding lines up with the state constitution. If you layer on top of that, there's a provision in the state constitution that says we, uh, that we have a, uh, we're mandated to have a thorough and uniform system of public education. Um, and there's been litigation about what thorough and uniform means. Now put on, on the other side of this ledger, uh, the fact that, that citizens are entitled to equal protection under the law and that they should have a consistent, uh, um, a consistent experience with the criminal justice system. We've had discussions in this state about whether or not the way we fund public education is consistent with the constitutional requirement that we have a thorough and uniform system of education. I don't know why we can't have the same parallel conversation uh, about whether or not the way we fund uh, our criminal justice system, and specifically district attorney's offices, um, it meets our constitutional requirements. Or even if, if it does meet constitutional muster, is there a better way of doing it so that we bring consistency and reduce some of the, uh, the, the political gamesmanship that, that seems to be happening with budgets? But some other possible sources of philosophical disagreement are more nebulous. Tom Raines said he believes pushback from the legislature is rooted in the idea that it's not politically popular right now to fund a tough-on-crime mentality. And some lawmakers may see prosecutors' offices as part of that. But I asked former Governor Bill Ritter about that. He served as Denver's district attorney before he was governor. He doesn't believe that thinking tracks. It goes back to the idea that Bill's struggle to get traction hasn't depended on which party controlled the legislature. He remembered the salary floor increase for elected DAs as the last measure that passed to address prosecution funding. And whether it's been Republicans in control or Democrats in control, there's been almost no ability to try and look at this funding issue and, and say, yeah, we're going to 
provide greater state funding into prosecutors' offices because the counties aren't doing their bit. You know, um, the county sheriffs are all funded by the counties. Uh, county clerk's office is funded by the counties. The court system is funded by the state. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the legislature looks at this and says, if you want better prosecutors in your counties, then go get them. Um, you know, go get the money for it. And that's kind of how both Democrats and Republican majorities in the House and the Senate have treated this issue for a very long time. The way this statute is written now to delegate funding responsibility to counties adds another layer of complication. Reins explained it doesn't have a directive on what should happen if counties within a judicial district don't agree on the budget for their DA office in a given year. And if the county says, well, we don't think you need that much. Well, who's, who's right? Uh, and that's where there's, there is not statutory clarity on who gets to make that call. Ultimately, the commissioners hold the purse strings. So as much as district attorneys can say, you're not funding me appropriately, uh, my staff is overwhelmed, therefore I have an attrition rate that's ridiculous, uh, the commissioners can still say, well, we, we think we're giving you enough. Several county commissioners testified for Senate Bill 50, this year's attempt to increase state funding for DA offices. They talked about the different financial priorities they have to balance each year. For an impoverished county, a project such as a new school or jail can cost more than the county's budget for the year. The whole criminal justice system is intertwined. So we're responsible for the jails. We're responsible right. for the sheriffs. We're responsible for the courthouse. Alamosa just had to borrow $24 million to buy to build a new courthouse, add on to our jail because we had overcrowding jail problems. A new jail is going to cost approximately $10 million. Uh, we're already on the on the radar for um, our current jail, which is which is uh, in desperate need of uh, demolishing and creating a new jail. And um, just to give you some perspective, the entire county budget is uh, approximately $8 million. Mr. Chair, we recently uh, passed a bond issue as well in Mineral County for a $16 million school. Um, and that, uh, I think that stretched the limits of the taxpayer's ability to contribute to the public good, so to speak. Dan Hotzenpiller in the 7th District talked about how in his rural district, some counties may be doing well economically from year to year while others struggle. I mean, I have a county that has 550 permanent residents. 550. I have another county that um, relied heavily on coal mining jobs. And, you know, there were huge shutdowns and, uh, and layoffs of coal mining jobs in, in the last several years. And those were all really high-paying jobs. And, and for every ton of coal that was with, extracted from the ground, the county received a certain amount of dollars. Well, you know, those jobs went away, and so did the extraction fees. So, you know, then I have one, one or two counties in that pool of six that are economically not doing well, and it's not, they're not making that up. It's true. They're, they're, their revenue may be going down every year for a period of years. 
And then they're, they're looking at my budget and saying, hey, man, we're cutting road and bridge and we're cutting health and human services and we don't have money to build any, you know, an addition on the hospital and you're asking us for more money. Another one of my counties might be doing pretty well. Hey, we're doing okay. We've got some economic activity going on, but I've got one or two in that pool that are not. And so you, you end up with what I call that lowest common denominator phenomena. And it's really hard to increase those budgets in a multi-county rural district. Molly Chilson in the 11th district told me in 2016, three of her four counties disagreed on the year's budget. Her office could have filed a lawsuit to get clarity from a court on what should happen for funding. But Chilson said that wouldn't have been practical. Her office and the counties probably wouldn't have gotten an answer on that year's funding for at least a few years. And a lawsuit would have strained both resources and the district's relationship with the counties. By the way, this was a huge distraction from our office duties because this was myself and my assistant district attorney who were now in this legal battle when we're the most experienced prosecutors who are also assigned to the most serious cases that are actually pending in our courts, our murders and our sex assaults. And so we're trying to balance those obligations on our casework while trying to also achieve fairness for our office and achieve the resources that we need to do the work. So we finally came to an accommodation um, for this year's budget. So 2017, sorry, it was 2018. So 2017, we had... um, flat funding, like no increase. Then the next year, they agreed to fund us at what we had requested in 2016 for the one new lawyer. Okay. And that was short of litigating, and it was um, it was a huge toll on relationships between our office and our county commissioners, and it was a huge toll on our office just in terms of, you know, exhaustion of our time on something that we could be dedicating to people and victims and defendants who needed our attention. This patchwork of different financial situations judicial districts are in could itself be why the legislature is reluctant to take on a bigger role funding them. At the end of the day, it could be the skittishness to take a sweeping approach in funding something that looks so different across the state. It just isn't, it it isn't like, oh, well, absolutely everyone everywhere is experiencing this one thing and one problem. And so, well, let's do this and that'll solve the problem. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really not like that. So, and indeed some, some of the DA's offices really honestly don't really aren't experiencing a problem, right? They're fine. They're, and I'm sure they have their own funding challenges, but you know, I mean, I talk to enough of them often enough, you know, they, they really, they're doing pretty well. They, they have great relationships with their single county or one major county commissioners and, you know, they're funded pretty well. And so they're, they're not really experiencing the same thing that a lot of the rest of us are. I'm Julia Cardi for Hearsay. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or follow us on SoundCloud.